Thank you for listening to the Peapod from the Somerset Safeguarding Children Partnership. Please note, due to the nature of this podcast, themes relating to the abuse and neglect of children are discussed, with the content being designed for an adult audience for educational purposes in order to protect children from harm. Therefore, listener discretion is advised and the content unsuitable for children. Welcome to the Peapod. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Peapod, the uh, partnership podcast from the Somerset Safeguarding Children Partnership. Um, it's good to have you back with us. And uh, one of the things we talked about previously is explaining and introducing to you the various aspects of the partnership, um, remembering that the partnership encompasses all agencies uh, who have a responsibility to safeguarding children. And I'm very pleased today uh, to say that I'm joined in the studio uh, by uh, Dr. Joe Nicholl, who's the designated doctor for safeguarding children uh, for NHS Somerset. Uh, Joe, welcome. Hi, Steve. Uh, thanks for joining me today. It's really good to have you in here um, in the studio. And um, it'll be great to get to know uh, get to know you and get to know your role and, and how it contributes to the partnership a little bit. Um, so could you just start us just talking to us about w- what is a uh, what is the role of a, uh, the designated doctor for safeguarding children? Because it, it's something I'm sure you're familiar with, but many people will be sitting there scratching their heads thinking, it's a great title. I have no idea what it actually means. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. So the designated doctor is a strategic safeguarding role. So I don't do hands-on safeguarding with children, but what I do is help the system to um, develop policies and procedures uh, to safeguard children more effectively across Somerset. So uh, obviously, I'm a doctor, so I'm doing that specifically with a health focus. But I work together with colleagues in children's social care, the police, education, and across the whole health system to sort of try and coordinate things so that we do things as effectively as possible between our agencies. So, um, you know, that would be, uh, you know, giving advice on the health impact of perhaps a policy that children's social care was developing or helping uh, the health system understand uh, a police policy or, you know, it's sort of backwards and forwards between mm. the the agencies. And um, I'm part of a team at the at, at, at NHS Somerset and we, between us, all provide support to practitioners who are getting stuck with some of the more tricky safeguarding cases. So we often take calls from GPs or um children's social care, um, sometimes education colleagues. Those would probably be the most common ones um, to just say, you know, I'm worried about this child. I'm stuck with this case. I don't know what to do with it. Can you help? So a, a lot of what we do is is between those two roles, really. Sort of consultation as well as, as the kind of strategic side of things. Yeah, absolutely. It's, but it's providing advice sort of one level above rather than actually hands-on with the child mm. themselves. Yeah. But you, you are still a practising GP? I am a practicing GP. I work one day a week in a GP practice in Somerset. Um, and uh, I come obviously from a GP background, which is a somewhat unusual position for the designated doctor. Normally it's a pediatric role. Um, but because I've been doing safeguarding in the um, for NHS Somerset was then the, the CCG um, for quite some time. Um, and I've always had an interest in safeguarding children and paediatrics through my GP career. Uh, uh, and I've done other sort of little jobs, like I was a police surgeon for a while and uh, and I've been a GP educator for quite a while. So all those sort of 
bits and bobs that I've done over the years kind of given me the skills that I needed um, to do this role. So um, although it's somewhat unusual for a GP to be in the role, I think actually that the it does give me a perhaps a, a better overview of the whole system in some ways. Um, but I, I'm conscious of the fact that I'm not a paediatrician, so I work very closely with our named doctor in the trust um, and, you know, we kind of buddy up and do a lot of the work together so we get uh, the strategic and the paediatric focus linked in. Mm. I'm just just curious, actually, because we, we've talked previously uh, in the previous episodes about the change from the safeguarding board's within the local authority uh, to the Safeguarding Children Partnership arrangements that, that came in from working together. I just want to, have you, have you seen much of an impact in that within your role within health services? Because obviously now there's kind of that equal shared responsibility. Um, how do you, how have you sort of seen that change? Yeah, so I think it's given health a, 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 a clearer voice at the table, if you like, um, when making decisions, but also clear responsibilities in our safeguarding. You know, the the ICB has strategic safeguarding responsibilities for defined in working together. And uh, one of the other elements of my job, I guess, is to make sure that the ICB um, are fulfilling their safeguarding responsibilities to the families in Somerset. Um, so, you know, I do give advice to our executive team alongside my colleagues in the safeguarding team, you know, and we also do a lot more assurance work than we used to. Um, you know, we go out and visit practices and our providers um, who have contracts under the NHS um, and to, to make sure that their safeguarding is effective and appropriate for the whatever service they're providing. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's an interesting, I think quite often people talk about health they, they, they yeah. it, talk, it refers to, to health within working together. But I think as we've seen in, in reviews and as important for, for everybody to remember is health is not one single body. It's not no, single one. No. It's a huge sort of multifaceted beast. And you've mentioned GPs already. You've talked about paediatrics. You know, and I think it's important uh, when we're talking about the partnership, when we're talking about health, is, is for people to kind of recognise it is multifaceted and it it's is, important yeah. to kind of make sure we're linking in with the right people within that and, and getting the right voices. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a complex system. It's, you know, taken me a long time to understand how all the bits fit together. And I, I, I completely sympathise with someone coming in from the outside thinking, who on earth do I need to actually speak to in this mm. in this health system? But I mean, really, it's about making sure you're getting the 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 right representative around the table to answer the question that you want to ask. Yeah. So, you know, if you've got a child, for example, with complex disabilities, you, you want a specialist in that area to be advising you on what the impact of that disability might be for that child. If you want a, a, somebody who can specialise in telling you about how the whole family work together, then you, you probably want either the GP or a public health nurse like the health visitor who who work with families rather than individuals. Um, so, you know, it's important that you just have a little think about what is the question that you're trying to answer mm. and who is the best person to do that. And again, that might be something that um, someone would come to the ICB team and say, I don't know who to have around the table to answer this question. And we could provide some advice and support with that element as well. Mm. 
No, thank you. I'm just wondering, in terms of the health system feeding into the, the partnership arrangements, how, how do you kind of see health systems best feeding in? I mean, obviously, you're part of a, a number of the, the subgroups from the partnership. Yeah. Um, so I guess both in terms of your role, sort of feeding into the partnership arrangements and sort of broadly in terms of health systems feeding in. So, so I think it's important that there is a health representative on a lot of the um, committees and subgroups and things that we run because we're tripartite. Uh, you know, we, we need to have the three elements of children, social care, police and health represented in the room. And I think from the point of view of strategic safeguarding, the ICB team is well placed to provide that strategic oversight because we have that broad overview of the whole health system. Mm. Um, but we may also need to bring in um, specific individuals if we need a bit more advice about, for example, how midwifery might be contributing to whatever it is we're discussing, you know, that may mm. be more specialist area. Thanks, Joe. And just think as well, in terms of obviously you have very strong links with GPs. Um, your role isn't just focusing on GPs, but it, you know, it is broad, but obviously mm-hmm. you've got those close links with GPs. How do you feel or what do you see in your practice about sort of that, that, that best practice about how uh, they can best support good safeguarding practice in relation to, to children? So I think one of the most important elements, and that's been borne out by uh, a number of the serious case reviews and local safeguarding practice reviews that we've done, is to have that professional curiosity to mm. dig a little bit deeper, ask those questions, be curious about what's going on in people's lives. Uh, you know, we're in a very privileged position in primary care that we can be quite nosy and ask, you know, quite quite um, sensitive questions very quickly after meeting somebody. So that gives us that opportunity. So it's kind of having your antenna raised mm. for for safeguarding risks. And I think the way to get your antenna particularly attuned is to make sure your training is up to date and that you've really got an overview of what's going on in safeguarding both locally and nationally, what the themes are. Mm. <clears throat> um, I think it's the other element is to communicate really well. Um, and that's where the uh, GP children's safeguarding meetings can be very useful because you have the primary care team together talking about some of the families that they're worried about who seem to be struggling and thinking, how can we support this family? And are we picking up anything that might make us a bit worried about this family or that this child's at risk um, and just kicking that around as a team and saying, well, I've seen this, I've heard this, gives you a much bigger picture. And then, of course, you may need to bring in other professionals to get that wider picture. You may need to have conversations with children's social care or other um, health colleagues in the midwifery team, the health visitor team, the paediatric team. Um, so, so good communication and really putting that jigsaw together so you've got a a good overview is critical. And then when you've got a genuine safeguarding concern, it's really about making sure your views are represented in those discussions. So getting GPs to attend strategy meetings is really important. I appreciate it's difficult because they're often very short notice and they're all very busy in primary care, but it's a a really critical decision-making meeting for that family. And it's important that the health service is represented, but particularly the GP is represented because they've often, um, you know, may well have picked up the initial concern or have a wider knowledge around the 
the family mm. um, and contributing to things like the Child Protection Conference report. Sadly, the pressure on primary care means that many GPs can't actually get to conferences physically. Yeah. So that so a good report really needs to represent what they say. And then challenging things with colleagues if you don't feel it's right. You know, if you're still worried with a about a family or a child um, and you don't feel you've had an appropriate response from a colleague, then, then you know, you need to make your point again and challenge that a little bit. Absolutely. And that's where we've got the resolving professional differences protocol, Absolutely. isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And, to, you know, because that's a framework we've all signed up to. Mm. And, it, and it's so important we get that right because you see it time and time again, locally and nationally, where there have been disagreements and they haven't been sorted out and they haven't reached a resolution. And then as a consequence of which sometimes we're, you know, weeks, months, years later, we're then sort of looking at that as, as a case review, mm. um, which is a real, you know, a real challenge. It's, it's very difficult, but it's really important. Isn't it? I'm, I'm just thinking, sort of picking up from what you were saying about um, child protection conferences and, and that being very challenging for GPs. Um, to physically attend. Have you got any advice either for GPs or for um, for other professionals about how uh, they can link in closer together, understanding that it is challenging for everybody? So I think there's something about writing reports and communicating with other colleagues in a way that uses a, a language that we can all understand. Mm. So I think when when things go wrong or there are disagreements between professionals or a message hasn't come across clearly, perhaps in a, a, a child protection conference. It's often because uh, the health system are using health speak, the social system are using social work speak, you know, the police are using police speak and we haven't really understood each other. Mm. So I think we need to be good at being clear in our communication and making sure that we've put things in such a way that really a lay person could understand it. Um, and, you know, but if you take the child protection conference report, for example, a really good child protection conference report from a GP would, would be give kind of really pull out two elements. One is what is the impact of the child's health problems on the safeguarding hmm. risk? What does this actually mean? Yeah. Um, and also, what is the impact of the safeguarding plan that you're proposing on the child's health or the risks if you don't do anything on the child's health? So you might give an example of, well, if, if you don't address um, the, uh, the fact that this child's being exposed to domestic abuse at home, that's likely to have an, a long-term impact on their mental well-being, their mental health. But actually, we know that you know stress in childhood produces really poor outcomes in terms of physical health as well. Wow. And, and actually articulating those points clearly can really help uh, a, a non-health professional to understand why it's important mm. to be addressing those those problems. And, you know, maybe that you want to say, well, your plan's not going to work because actually one of the parents has drug and alcohol use and wouldn't be able to engage with what you're suggesting because they're so caught up dealing with their own difficulties. We need to think family and address that problem first. So um, it's, it's that two-way focus is, you know, what's what's the child's health needs and then what is the what is the impact of the safeguarding problem on their, on their health? Mm -hmm. Are you seeing uh, any, well, do you see within your role and, and with working with GPs and other health practitioners, do you see sort of common themes um, Coming up time and time again, are you seeing a kind of a rise in any particular 
themes, for example, or have you seen fairly consistent over the years? I mean, we certainly had a, a spike in domestic abuse, particularly during the COVID lockdown, uh, when, you know, it's a really difficult time for families. They're all jammed in together, um, not able to go out under worrying about, you know, COVID, money, jobs, uh, all sorts of things. Um, and no release for the parents in terms of the children not school for a bit to give them a bit of a break. And, you know, that that was a really stressful time for many families um so so i've certainly noticed that domestic abuse has been much more commonly recognized whether whether some of it was there and we weren't picking it up before yeah um so i, I think that's a a definite theme sadly the sort of child exploitation particularly in terms of county lines and um abuse outside the family is is much more prevalent as you know the drug culture in the society has become stronger and that's that's really challenging thing to to manage um because you know it's not the parents fault usually it's um mm. you know it's there's, a, there's wider it's, influence yeah it? it's it's not that you've got to you know try and help the the parents ch- you know change the way they're dealing with the child he's completely out of their control as that's really tricky so i think those those two particular themes have been perhaps more prominent in the last few years than i remember them being mm. back when i started my career in safeguarding i'm just just curious have you seen a, a rise in mental health needs for children young people or, or for for adults for parents because it's again is that you, you mentioned covid just now and that that's something that i think was talked a lot about mm. during the covid period and um yeah, I'm just, I'm just curious whether you have actually seen that in practice or, or not. Yeah, very much so, particularly in the adolescent sort of um, right. group. You know, there's a there was a massive spike in, in teenagers requesting support for their mental health, particularly not so much, I think, during the pandemic, but when they all started to go back to school because mm. they were feeling really isolated. They were worrying about friendship groups and, um, you know, they kind of got out of their routine. A lot of them felt safe in their bedroom with a door shut and then mm. going back out into the wide world. And, and that's continued to be the case. Um, and we also seeing, you know, some children with really quite complicated, challenging behaviour that's very difficult mm. to manage. Um, so I think that the schools have worked really hard to try and support these children, but there is a need for I think some more specialist resources across Somerset for some of these more complicated children. Mm. Thanks, Joe. I'm, I'm just um, just wondering as well. Quite often we, we kind of focus on on sort of when things haven't worked out well, on sort of poor practice about improving things, which is important. We we do you know obviously focus mm. on. I'm just wondering, have you got any examples of any kind of particular good practice that you've seen over the years? Well, I think I mean generally I've seen some real tenacity amongst safe colleagues in safeguarding so be that you know pediatricians gps health visitors midwives children's social care police you know people really just will not let go of something until they've actually made sure that child's got a better outcome mm. um and and i think you know there's there's I, I see that quite regularly, you know, as people really pushing and pushing or they keep coming back and asking for support, challenging things. This is still not right, you mm. know. And I, I think there's, there's a lot of that that goes on in the 
quietly in the background yep. that we don't perhaps see, you know, in amongst these big cases because actually they go right rather than go wrong. Mm. But I, th- I think you, you do need to be, you know, have, have that tenacity to safeguard children. You've got to just keep going on and on and on until you get it right. And, and there are a lot of people out there who are working very hard to do that. So I think generally there's a lot of good work going on. Yeah. No, brilliant. Thank you, Joe. I'll just to just to just to round off, I, I think in terms of you and and your role um, and how it's evolved over the years, what what advice would you give to to anyone who might be early on in their career and interested in becoming a, a designated doctor for for safeguarding children? What sort of advice would you give them? So I think get stuck into safeguarding at an early stage in your career, and um, you know there are lots of opportunities across the health system to do that. So um, you know of you could be asked to sit in, for example, um, on child protection medicals if you're working in one of the hospital trusts in the paediatric team. Um, you can ask to attend strategy meetings or child protection conferences. GPs can get involved with those as well. Um, and, uh, you know, there's... Um, opportunities to shadow people across the system. Uh, I'm going to have some of the community paediatric trainees um, or junior doctors uh, coming to shadow me at the ICB um, soon, which I think is a great way of them understanding the strategic safeguarding work that goes on. So I think there's there's lots of opportunities just to um, dabble into different bits of safeguarding, ask questions, sit in on things, uh, talk to people about cases, talk to the, um, you know, come and talk to the ICB, talk to the named doctors in the trust about the sort of cases they're seeing. A lot of the trusts also have um, peer review meetings where they go through the cases that they've seen in for child protection medicals and show the kind of injuries that children sadly have, uh, have sort of suffered as a result of abuse, but how they unpicked what was abuse and what wasn't, you know, from a medical point of view. So I think just, just getting involved in all of that stuff um, and then, um, you know, and then hopefully it would it will lead on to, to other things if you've got an interest. You've just got to be an enthusiast for safeguarding, I think. It's it's not for everybody, but I think if you can, if you can get your teeth into it and just, you know, be enthusiastic and tenacious. Those are the most important skills that you need to do the job well. Definitely, it's it's not easy, but it's it's good knowing that she you you do make a difference. Mm. That's yeah. the main thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a very interesting and rewarding job to do. I I mean, you know, I can I can completely understand why people raise their eyebrows and think, why on earth would you want to talk all day about children who are being abused? But it's not about that. It's about doing what we can as a system to stop that from happening and protect families and help them thrive and have happy lives. And that that feels like a really important thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Joe, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you coming in. I really appreciate you talking to me and uh, and talking to everybody about your role Pleasure. and about the partnership and, and how we will link in. And uh, I'm sure I will see you again very shortly in, uh, in one of the partnership subgroups. So thank <laughs> Thanks, you very much Steve. for your time. Take Thanks, care. Steve. And we'll Take see you again. Care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. As always, if you'd like to find out more on the topics discussed in this podcast, then go to the SSCP website, somersetsafeguardingchildren.org.uk, as well as following the links in the description. All that leaves me to say is thank you again for listening, and we look forward to you joining us here again next time at the Peapod. 
Let's work together to help keep children safe.